You're listening to episode 84 of The Vine Podcast. In today's episode, we're doing something a little bit different, and I've had listeners and readers submit their questions, and I'm going to be answering all kinds of topics from things like the best plugins to use, strategies for social media, time management tips, and more. So stick around, and you're going to hear lots of fun answers to a lot of different questions that were submitted. Hey friend, I'm Madison Weatherill, a web designer and branding strategist for food bloggers and your host for the Vine Podcast. This show is all about supporting you as a food blogger as you grow your business. I'll share tips for designing your business and your website with intention so that you can build a blog that fits into your life, not consumes it. You'll hear tips for connecting with your audience, growing your blog, and tips for managing and designing your website, all in short, easy to consume and actionable episodes. If you're ready to think differently about the strategies and tactics that you need to grow your food blog, you are in the right place. I'm so excited that you're here, friend. Let's get started. Welcome back, y'all, to another episode of the Vine Podcast. I'm so excited that you are here tuning into this episode, and I'm really excited to give this new format a try. So be sure after the episode to let me know how you liked it, and if it goes well and people really enjoy it, we will definitely make this a more regular occurrence on the podcast. Now, my guess is if you are listening to this episode that you are probably a podcast listener and this is not your first time listening to the Vine podcast, but just in case, in case someone shared this with you and you are not familiar with what we do, I always love to do a quick introduction. My name is Madison Weatherill and I am a WordPress web designer and brand strategist for food bloggers over at Grace and Vine Studios. We specialize in building custom websites and brands for food bloggers and we've been doing that for the last handful of years, almost exclusively working with a couple of lifestyle and travel bloggers here and there. And it's been really exciting to really serve the food blogging niche. And I honestly don't feel like this episode would have been possible if I wasn't serving such a specific niche because the questions just would have been all over the place. But today we're going to talk about a couple of different topics within the questions that people have asked. So we're going to talk about things like plugins, time management tips, social media tips, and just some more personal questions about how I run my business and my life. And so I'm excited to just dive into these topics. We have kind of organized them by section and topic so that it'll be kind of easy to follow. And I'm just going to jump right into answering some of these questions. Okay. Question number one, do you have any opinions on using themes like Astra, Cadence, or Trellis instead of Genesis. I have a lot of thoughts on this and I'm going to try to keep it short and sweet. Really, this goes back to what your goals are for your website and how tech savvy you are as well. I've said before that there is a reason that Genesis is the standard for food bloggers. However, in the last couple of years, there have been a lot of new players in the game, if you will, of different platforms and themes that are really making a headway with the needs that food bloggers have. Now, from a personal standpoint, I have not used Astra or Trellis specifically. I have used Cadence, just a very super basic Cadence child theme. And what I will say is that I hear a lot of good things about these different themes and frameworks is the word I was looking for. And I've heard that a lot of them are super fast and relatively easy to use. One potential downside I have heard is that they're not very easy to customize and kind of get that out of the box look to look more customized and like it's not out of the box. So again, that's why I say it goes back to your goals. Are you really looking for a site that is super lightning fast and you don't really care if you lose some of the ability to customize it and make it look the way you want it to look? Are you looking for some 
something that is super easy to customize and just tweak on your own. It really depends on what you're looking for. And luckily, a lot of these platforms have the ability to test these things out. I know that Cadence, the child theme, is free. Trellis is available um, if you are signed up for their beta program, and it's free right now as far as I know. And then you obviously have a lot of people who have used Genesis and have, you know, feedback on using that. So I don't have any hard and fast opinions about like, do not use these other frameworks, but I'm always really cautious to recommend things other than what we have seen be sort of tried and true with what's worked for our clients. Now, I will say that if you're looking for something that is just lightning fast out of the box, Genesis is not always going to provide that unless you are using something like the Feast plugin and the Foodie Pro theme that will really give you a fast experience. If you're using pretty much any other Genesis-based theme out of the box, a lot of them were not really built with the site speed things that we have to take into consideration now. A lot has changed that really there's so many things that are important that were not important when Genesis first came out. That being said, Genesis has been out for 10, 15 years at least. And so there is a reason that it stood the test of time. And I am very hopeful that they will continue to make updates to it long term. And if you're working with someone that knows what they're doing and is really designing and developing with SiteSpeed in mind, then all of these are really going to be interchangeable in terms of what you are capable of doing. I think a lot of people are switching to some of these other frameworks because by default, they were built with site speed in mind. And so there's a lot of out of the box benefits that these have. But again, I don't have any experience using these particularly. It's something that we're definitely open to using with, with future clients. If custom clients want to be able to use these frameworks instead of Genesis, we are totally open to that. Genesis is just kind of our bread and butter and what we know and what we have seen work time and time again for our clients. Question number two, which plugins do you not recommend? So this could go so many different ways. I will say that in general, I do not recommend plugins that have not been updated recently. So if they are not compatible with at least the second to latest version of WordPress, then I would not use them. If they have not been updated in six months, a year at the very most, then I would not use it unless you know on good faith that it is a plugin that still works with your theme. I also would not recommend plugins that are going to be super heavy with features that you don't need. One particular example, I didn't even think about this when I was planning out my answers, is I do not recommend Jetpack. In my experience, I've just never seen any reason that a blogger needs to have Jetpack. Every other feature that Jetpack has is built into some other plugins. And generally speaking, there's a handful of features within Jetpack that you aren't going to need at all ever as a food blogger. And so it ends up just being extra bloat for your website and just something that you don't need. So with any plugin, I really recommend that you look at why you need it and to make sure that you actually do need it before going ahead and installing it. A couple of others that came to mind when I was thinking through this answer, I particularly don't love social warfare. Now, the only reason that I say this is that there were some issues that came up with social warfare and some scam stuff, or I don't even exactly remember what the issue was, but I remember there was an issue with it a couple of years ago that they didn't address very quickly or very well, and a lot of people switched after that over to using Grow by Mediavine, which is what I would recommend now. So if you're using that plugin and it is working for you, you can totally keep it. You don't have to switch just because I say I don't recommend it. But if someone were coming to me and they were asking you to choose between Social Warfare and Grow by Mediavine, then I would recommend Grow by Mediavine instead. Now, the other type of plugins that I generally don't recommend are related post plugins. And I've talked about this a couple of times on the podcast. Generally speaking, the reason I don't recommend this type of plugin is that it's going to use contextual or some sort of algorithm 
to figure out what posts are related. And I find that it is generally better for you as the content creator to curate which posts are being recommended as sort of a next step for your reader. Now the related post plugin can be really nice for people who have hundreds and hundreds of blog posts that they don't have time to go through and add, you know, write all at the site relaunching, for example. Related post plugins can be really good for that, but I recommend ones that will show maybe based on category or show based on most popular posts in terms of the amount of comments, that type of thing, so that there is some sort of control over which posts are being shared because a lot of the time it ends up being very random and the posts are not related at all. And so you can have something that just doesn't make a lot of sense from the user's perspective and is just confusing for them. I do have an entire blog post about my top WordPress plugins for food bloggers. I will leave that in the show notes if you want to read through that and see which plugins I recommend in general. But these are just a few that I would steer clear of or at least be mindful of using unless you are really certain that you need it and that it is going to serve you well. Okay, question number three. Can you give us your best tip for site speed? Now, I could probably do an entire series of podcast episodes about this topic, so I'm going to keep it brief and just give you really high-level advice for tackling site speed. First is to make sure that you're always resizing your images, and I mean this both before you upload your image, and then I also recommend using an image optimization plugin like ShortPixel to optimize your images after they are uploaded. So it's kind of a two-step process, but that will really ensure that you have the smallest file size possible for your images, which as a food blogger is super important because you have so many images. And that is also linked in the blog post I talked about where I have my top WordPress plugins. So definitely check that out if you need a link for that. I also recommend going and getting rid of any unnecessary or duplicate plugins. While plugins are a generally small file size, they can add up and sometimes plugins are incredibly large like we talked about in a second ago with Jetpack. So really be mindful of the plugins that you have. I'm not saying that you can't have, you know, 30 or 40, but you just really need to make sure that they're the ones that you need and that you are making sure that they are well-designed and they're not slowing down your site. And then finally, I also recommend using an optimization plugin like WP Rocket. And this plugin is really going to do a lot of technical stuff in order to be able to make your site load faster. And so it's really a great one to have. Um, it's really easy to set up and a lot of hosting companies will actually help you set it up or will even have a license for you. So I definitely recommend checking that out. And I will include a link for that one in the show notes. And it is in that blog post that I mentioned as well. Okay. Question number four, which recipe card plugin do you recommend? So I really love Create by Mediavine and WP Recipe Maker. I have also used Tasty and I really like it. I just think that Create and WP Recipe Maker are a little bit more robust. And from a web design perspective, they are a lot easier to customize both for you know the average user who's using it and also as a developer. So I really like those two. I like that Create is free, but it really has a lot of the same features that you would find in the pro version of WP Recipe Maker. So I did an entire episode all about this. So you can go back and listen to episode episode 46 if you want to hear a little bit more explanation about the reasons that I chose my favorites and why I like those. So definitely go back and check that episode out as well. Question number five, how many categories should I have? My answer to this is going to be as many as you need in order to optimize and organize your content efficiently. So I really recommend making sure that your category pages are filled out fully, meaning that you don't just have two or three posts per category that you're really shooting to be able to have them fully filled out, whether that's 12 or 20 blog posts in that category over time. So you might not have it right away, but you know that the dinner category, for example, is something that you're going to fill out over time. 
And then second, I really recommend making sure that your category pages are not competing with your blog posts. And I talked about that a lot more in depth um, in episode 76, where I went into how to organize your blog categories. So if categories seem like a mystery to you and you want more of a deep dive into that topic, definitely go back and listen to that episode. Okay, so we're going to shift gears into talking about some other things besides sort of the tech side of blogging. So question number six was, with Instagram changing its focus, do I need to learn video to grow? And I really, really love this question. I think there's a lot that is really hidden in this question. And so my perspective is really that in order to be able to see the best results on any platform, Instagram included, you need to try to use all the features that it has. And so for Instagram, for example, there are so many different ways to create content on there. And when you are not using things like Reels or IGTV or Instagram stories, you're really limiting the amount of exposure that you're going to get for your brand on those platforms. However, if you really tap into the algorithm and what Instagram is favoring and liking, which is video, you're gonna be able to see an increased engagement. The other day, I shared a quick little reel of our weekend trip to San Francisco. And honestly, I threw it together in like 10 minutes at the most. I knew that I wanted to create that before we went on our trip. So I was taking sort of quick videos along the way of just different things that we were experiencing, but that reel got almost 4,000 views within a few hours as opposed to, you know, my normal content, which is reaching a few hundred people. And so I think it can be really discouraging if you really don't like video. And if that's the case, then maybe Instagram is not the platform for you. But to be honest, every single platform, except for maybe Twitter, Pinterest, Facebook, and Instagram are all really favoring video. And honestly, so is Google. And so I think it's important to figure out if this is a part of your long-term strategy. Now, the second side to that question is that you don't have to necessarily learn how to do this, but if it's a part of your strategy, then maybe it's someone that you need to have on your team who can help you doing this. And I know for some of you, you might not be in the position to hire somebody to help you with videos, but maybe it's an intern that you hire to help you with Instagram and you have them help you with creating reels. Maybe you're just using an app like Jump Rope to be able to put together clips of your photos in a video format so that people can experience your content that way. The point really is that if that's what users are wanting, then that's what Instagram is going to favor. And so I think you have to make a choice here. You have to decide, is Instagram a good marketing platform for my blog? And if it is, am I willing to do what I need to do in order to grow that platform. If not, then you need to just be willing to get scrappy and do do things differently. You may not find that you get the same reach that you would if you tried out those things, but you may also find that maybe your people don't like video. Ironically, I really cannot stand video on Instagram. I hardly ever watch videos. I Even with stories, I really don't watch them very often unless I can really read through the caption really fast. It's just not something that grabs my attention, but my husband is the complete opposite. He loves videos. So I think you might find that your people are on Instagram and they don't like video either. But I just think at the end of the day, if that's the direction that Instagram is going, they're eventually going to phase out some of these things that are not video centric. And so I think it is a smart move if Instagram is in your long-term marketing plan that you figure out a way to incorporate that into your marketing, whether that's you or someone else on your team that you can hire. Okay, we're gonna jump into our final section, which is all about time management and really just juggling business and life and all of that kind of stuff. So I really love these questions. The first question, number seven, is tell us about your mad time management skills. And I kind of chuckled when I read this because first of all, I know who submitted this question, but also just this is something that I feel like is constantly a work in progress for me. 
And really, I think it is for so many of us. We're all trying to juggle all the things in our business and our personal life. And so I don't think any of us really has this figured out. However, I will say that one thing that has been really, really helpful for me in the last probably six months is really getting clear on what the essential things are that I need to do. And I actually got this idea after reading a book from Greg McEwen. It's called Essentialism. And this book just really opened my eyes to how much we do in our lives, in our business, that really is not essential. It is really not driving us towards our goals. And so I would really recommend that book if you haven't read it, but The way that I really get clear on this intention is that I set a weekly one, so one thing that I want to really move the needle forward on in my business, not specifically for like my clients or anything like that. And then two, I set a top three for the day. So essentially I'm going to do way more than three things in one day, of course, but the three things are really the things that without fail, I have to get these three things done. And if I have more time, then I'll get to the rest of my list later. But it really helps me to prioritize what needs to get done versus all the things that feel like they need to get done, the things that feel like they're on fire, you know, the emails that I'm getting from clients who absolutely need something right this minute when it really can wait until after I finish those priority items. And so for me, that has really helped me to just get clear on what I need to do. And then when I do have time to sit down and work on something, I know exactly what I need to start with. And I usually try to set that either the night before I'm working or the morning of, kind of before I do anything else. And actually my entire team has been able to start adopting this and we've been sharing it with each other on our Slack channel. And that's been really fun just to help each other be excited about the work that we're doing and also to stay accountable to the things that need to get done. So I hope that helps, but I would just really recommend making that priority list for yourself and then making sure that you get that done first before you go and work on other things. Okay, so question number eight is kind of tied into that a little bit, but what does a typical workday look for you and how do you balance work and personal? So this is a really tricky one. I feel like the last year and a half has really taught me to be more scrappy. Um, I have made probably a million different plans of ways that I'm going to schedule out my week and I've made ideal week calendars and I've done all of these things to try to help get me super organized and then inevitably something will happen. We will have to find a new babysitter or one of the kids will be sick or I just will be behind on things and I can't follow my schedule. All kinds of things have happened and so Again, I've really learned to be more efficient with what I have to get done and really looking at things from a more zoomed out perspective. I think I used to get really caught up in like the to-do list for the week or even for the day and realizing that I needed to take a step back and see, you know, where all my client projects were at this at that moment and where they needed to be in a week or what was coming up the next month. And so really looking ahead has helped me to plan things out a little bit better. But for me, like, what does my actual work day look like? So my husband is still working from home, which has been a really big blessing for our family. And just, it's been really nice to spend more time together. But it has also helped me to carve out a few hours every morning to be able to get work done. So I kind of take the first shift in the morning and I get to get most of my work done before the kids are up. And then once they're up, he makes us all breakfast and kind of gets them settled while I kind of wrap things up. And so that's really my first block of the morning and of the day. And then my second block that I can definitely count on is during nap time and quiet time for the kids. And so those two blocks, it ends up being anywhere between four to six hours a day that I'm really able to focus. Of course, I always have, you know, client calls or team meetings or miscellaneous appointments that I need to have during those times and then time to actually work on my business too. So it sounds like a lot more time than it actually ends up being. But again, having those dedicated work blocks has been really, really helpful for me. And I think for those of you who maybe running your blog full time and have 
so much time, I think it's really important to get clear on what those blocks need to look like for you. So even if you have eight hours during the day, really being able to say, okay, my first two hours of the day, I'm going to do CEO time. I'm going to work on my business. And then the second two hours of my day, I'm going to work on content creation and really trying to get into a groove where you're batching things can be really helpful. And it can just give you a rhythm to follow so that when you sit down to work, you're not like, what am I going to do? And you just end up wasting time on Instagram or Facebook or something else. So really how I balance the work and the personal is that I really try to be in that zone as much as I can. So when I'm with my boys, I'm really trying to stay off of my computer. I'm not logged into things and I'm really just trying to be with them. I have started leaving my phone kind of on the other side of the kitchen if I can. I don't always follow this perfectly, but I've just found that I do a lot better when I can be all in on either work or family stuff. And that has really helped me to balance things a little bit more. Um, I would say I go into seasons where work feels a lot more balanced and then my personal side feels out of whack and then vice versa. So it's really just a balancing act and you really just have to be clear on the essentials like I talked about earlier. Like what is it in this season that really needs to be your priority and then adjusting for the rest of it. So for those of you right now where your kids are home for the summer, maybe you're kind of letting work take a back burner seat right now as you really focus on spending more time with your kids. And then in the fall, when your kids go back to school, maybe you're going to really level up what you're doing for your blog and really spend more time on it. So it's all a balancing act. And I think the the idea of like true balance where it's 50-50 is just never going to be practical, but it's really just an ebb and flow in different seasons. And I think that naturally happens just in life, but it's also really important to be mindful of that because if we aren't careful to put those boundaries around different seasons, like for example, if you're having a really busy season, it should be a season. It should be something that comes to an end. It shouldn't be the way that your life is just constantly running. So clearly I could do a whole episode about this topic, but it's something I'm really passionate about because it's definitely something that I did not do very well at the beginning of my business. And it's something I've had to kind of climb out of some of these bad habits and some of these workaholic tendencies and things like that. And really just allowing myself to carve out space for that balance that I really want to have. Okay, question number nine, kind of going back to social media a little bit, but it's still a time management tip. So if you have limited blogging time, would you prioritize writing content or sharing on social media? I didn't even have to think about the answer to this question. It is absolutely 100% writing content. I think if you feel scrapped for time, your priority should always be writing content. Now, for those of you who maybe don't get a lot of your traffic from Google, this may be slightly different because you might need to promote things on social media. But if you are really striving to get content out there and get it into Google's eyes, more content that is high quality is going to benefit you. So if you have to choose between promoting old stuff or writing new content, then I would definitely recommend writing new content and just getting things out there or revising old content as well. So if that's, you know, something that you're not really prioritizing, looking back and seeing what you can revise, that's a really easy way to make a super big impact on an old post, but without having to do all the work of creating it from scratch. Okay, and question number 10, our last question for today's episode. How do you create actionable steps to achieve your goals for your business? I also just love this question. I, again, think this is something that I really struggled with the first few years in business, and I've just realized how much time can go by without actually setting or achieving goals that you want 
to have for your business. And so I have a whole episode way back in the archives. It's about goal setting for your business and why it's important. So if you are kind of on the fence about like, what should my goals even be? Maybe go back and listen to that episode because it might be helpful. But as far as creating an actionable step, I think first step is really to get clear on what that goal is. So I really like to look at like, what is a one-year goal and what is a five-year goal for your business or for whatever it is that you're trying to make a goal for? And then getting really specific on what it is that you're looking for. And these really should be things that are within your control. So, so often people will say, oh, I want to get to 100,000 page views so I can qualify for an ad network. And that's a great goal to have, but it's not something that's really in your control. The better way to frame that goal would be to say, I'm going to publish three times a week and I'm going to do keyword research or I'm going to try to, you know, revise a certain amount of blog posts in order to get the result of getting to 100,000 page views. So I think a lot of times people set their goals as the result that they're looking for and really we need to be thinking about what are the actions you have to take in order to get to that result that you want. So once you're really clear on what it is that you want and what that goal is, then you can break it down. And so this is where you really need to look at how much time do you have to spend on this goal? How often can you work on this? And then really just breaking it down to the most bite-sized pieces of the project that you can. There is a really big difference between tasks and projects. And a lot of people get these really confused and they'll say, I'm going to update five blog posts this week. And that's actually a project and you have to break that project down into all of the tasks that it's going to take to get you to being able to finish that project. And so you kind of have to work backwards from the goal. Like that's really your top level. And then you work back down to like, what is my first step I need to take in order to start achieving this goal. And then just as a side note for this, I highly recommend having some sort of way to manage those tasks. So within my team, we use a project management tool called Asana. We also use it with all of my clients just to keep everything organized and keep the process really streamlined. And It's also really effective if you just have a team of one. So if it's just you or maybe you have a VA or something, it's a really great way to just track goals, track projects, track tasks, that kind of thing, and really just see the momentum that you're making because the reality is you probably do so many things every single day that you don't even realize that you're doing that are either moving you towards your goals or not. And having a project management system can really help you to track those better and to make sure that you have a plan for what those goals are are and how you're going to get to them. So I hope that this was a fun episode for you guys. It was definitely fun for me to record and to kind of hop around to different topics. So I would love to hear your thoughts. Definitely go over and share those with me on Instagram over at Grayson Vine. If you would like to see another one of these episodes and you have a question that you'd like to submit, I would love to see you go over to thevinepodcast.com and you'll see a form on that page where you can submit your question. And then if this episode does well and people are really liking it, then we will continue to share on Instagram stories to kind of collect questions there as well, because I know a lot of you are hanging out over there. So I hope this was fun. If you have any follow-up questions about any of this, please let me know. Feel free to reach out. You can also check the show notes for some of the links and resources that I talked about in this episode. And for now, that's all I have for you guys. So we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I would love for you to screenshot it and share it with a friend. You can tag me on Instagram stories at Grace and Vine. For the show notes for this episode, head to thevinepodcast.com. Talk soon.